0: gathered in love and service for justice and peace. When my friend Preston Babbitt was sick, he wanted Wonder Bread with American cheese and Campbell's tomato soup, a combo that he called Pink Bunny. He loved it. I was afraid it would kill him. I'm amazed by what some people think of as comfort food and I'm sure the feeling is mutual. (laughs) (laughs) To each our own, most of us love our comfort zone. Step outside it, and we long for what's familiar. I can't wait to get home to my own bed. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. But Passover comes each spring, comes this week, to remind us of people going way, way out of their comfort zone for freedom. It would be safe to say that on most days, if we are honest with ourselves, none of us wants very much to do with living the Passover story. We'd rather eat pink bunny (laughs) or our version of chicken soup. But what if comfort were not among our highest values. What if we really engaged the Passover story? Not just those of us who identify as Jewish, but Passover for everyone. What if our individual and shared Passover were about much more than the cleaning frenzy and matzah and Manischewitz and very long, very late evenings? to begin entertaining this enticing if frightening scenario. Let's all get onto the same page. What is Passover? In the biblical story of the Exodus, God inflicted ten plagues on the Egyptians who had enslaved the Hebrew people. The last of those ten plagues was the killing of all the firstborn. The Hebrews marked their doorframes with the blood of a spring lamb signaling the Spirit of the Lord not to murder the firstborn inside. Those houses were passed over, hence the name of the celebration. When Pharaoh finally freed the slaves, they fled in such haste they couldn't even wait for the bread to rise. They had to eat it unleavened. This is the origin of matzah. Passover is also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And now once a year, Jews all over the world remember the deliverance of their people, led by Moses from slavery into the Promised Land. Passover is observed each year with rituals to engage us in all the aspects of the Exodus. It's one big character-building exercise in memory and in desperation and gratitude filed under good for your soul. In the spirit of really engaging the story and getting out of the comfort zone, there are three rituals associated with Passover that I want to lift up. First, what has become known in modern times as spring cleaning. Second, the crossing of boundaries. And third, anticipating the reappearance of the prophet Elijah. So first, spring cleaning. Passover, writes Boulders Rabbi of Firestone, is really not meant to be a nostalgic salute to some idealized event in ancient history. Seder plates will be dragged out as table decorations and memorabilia, but Passover is deep. It is easy to become obsessed with cleaning and get lost in the outer focus. But scrubbing ovens, cleaning out corners and piles, and bringing out special dishes are the external work that trigger the inner engagement. If we live with cluttered homes, cluttered desks, cluttered minds, if there is no spaciousness in our outer environment, how will we cultivate an inner spaciousness? If we live with cluttered hearts, cluttered hearts, hearts cluttered with unspent grief, unreleased resentment, unburned anger, how will we know peace? In Greece, the first week of Lent is referred to as Clean Week We spoke a few weeks ago about a Unitarian Universalist Lenten practice, not of giving up something, but of taking on something, such as going beyond giving up hatred to taking on love. For the celebration to begin, a spring cleaning is in order, including cleaning our hearts. Ancient Persians referred to spring cleaning as shaking the house, Passover calls us to shake the house, not only to do a literal, thorough house cleaning, but to shake the house of our lives, shake the dust and cobwebs from our lives and make of it spiritual compost to prepare the new garden. I've told you about Fly Lady, the queen of clean, who dispenses astonishingly creative and fun decluttering strategies from her website, flylady.com. Don't miss her description of the regularly scheduled 15 minutes you want to spend flying through your house finding 27 items to give away or throw away. When I first arrived to serve the meeting house in Provincetown, it consisted of a sanctuary upstairs and a large room on the first floor that was filled, there is no more truthful way to see this, it was filled with junk. We had no room for church school and no room for coffee hour. What we did have was a long time and very generous member of the congregation, which is to say 1 16th of the congregation, who was deeply attached to opening the church doors each Saturday morning and sitting on a a folding chair in the vestibule, a cash box in his lap, in the hopes that tourists would leave Commercial Street, make their way down the long front lawn, step into the church, and buy some junk. One day, John, as I'll call him, had the fundraising idea that his friend Frankie, a wonderful tiny Jewish woman from New York, should come to the meeting house and give psychic readings. When Frankie and I met, she got me alone for a moment and asked, is there anything I can do to help you with this reading? I must have looked confused, she got to the point. Is there anything that needs, you know, a voice from beyond to get it moving? The afternoon for the reading came. Frankie was really wonderful, a true showwoman and kind to all those who asked her everything you always wanted to know about the afterlife but were afraid to ask. And then suddenly, mid-reading, mid-sentence, she stopped. John, she said, is there a John here? John, there's a message coming through for you. And despite the fact that there were almost certainly at least a dozen Johns in the audience, our John rose from his seat in the front. Yes, he asked. I'm here. John, said the spirits, clear out the junk. (laughs) Clear out the junk, John. For those of you who don't know the rest of the story, let's just say that in the days and years to come, we made a lot of room in the Meeting House for an extraordinary congregation and many, many wonderful guests, including once a year, dear Frankie. The second place out of the comfort zone that the Passover rituals invite us is to the crossing of boundaries. Again, here is Rabbi Tears of Firestone. Your ancestors, and now you, yes, you, are here to ask, to challenge, to wrestle with God, to be heretical, to cross boundaries on your own comfort, to look beyond yourself to the bigger picture. You think it was an accident that your founding father, Abraham, was an iconoclast, an idol smasher? You, too, must question the prevailing beliefs wherever you go. Be willing to smash the false gods, especially those of your own making. The first Passover, she continues, was an upfront departure from the mother culture. The Egyptian culture was obsessed with death, rife with child sacrifice and building monuments to the dead. The events leading up to the first Passover were. We're an in-their-face way of saying we are choosing a life-affirming deity. We'll have an ark, but it won't contain remnants of the dead, as yours does. Ours will contain symbols of life and justice. Crossing boundaries is a prerequisite of freedom. What boundaries in our lives are hemming us in, our thoughts, our joy, our capacity to love, our freedom? What false gods must we depose? What holy cows need to be put out to pasture? Michael Gates Gill, the only child of New Yorker writer Brendan Gill, went directly from his graduation from Yale to work at the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Agency in New York. He and his wife raised four wonderful children in a beautiful home in the suburbs. Then it all fell apart. After 25 years as a creative director at JWT, he aged out and was fired. Nursing his bruised ego, he had an affair, and ruined his 20-year marriage. And then he was diagnosed with a slow-growing brain tumor and had no health insurance. At 64, he found himself sitting in a Starbucks one day, seemingly without prospects. He was broke and broken and utterly alone. Starbucks manager Crystal Thompson, a 28-year-old African-American, approached Michael where he was seated sipping his coffee and asked him if he'd like a job. To his utter amazement, and probably hers, he said that he would. Michael Gates Gill became Mike, the barista, trading his Brooks Brothers suits for a green apron and cap and became the only older person and the only white person working with a team of young African Americans at a Starbucks on Broadway in New York. The new job was hard work, and his new coworkers with far less education and far more challenges in their daily lives than he could ever have imagined ran circles around him. They were also, also incredibly welcoming and kind and encouraging. For the first time in his life, Mike felt real gratitude. With the armor of entitlement stripped away, he became a humbler and truly happier man than he'd ever been. Someone that even his kids could really love. But the real hero of this story is not Mike, but Crystal Thompson who crossed those boundaries of race, class, and age, and most gratifyingly was richly rewarded for her bold move. In this story, told in Michael Gates Gill's little memoir, How Starbucks Saved My Life, everyone is changed and changes for the better. Finally, for this morning, the third place out of the comfort zone that the Passover rituals invite us to is the anticipated reappearance of the prophet Elijah. At a certain moment in the Passover Seder, the telling of the Exodus story, the door is thrown open to welcome Elijah, the prophet known as the revealer of secrets. And here's the leap out of the comfort zone. Do we have eyes to see? and ears to hear those mysteries. Will we recognize them when we see them? Know them when we hear them? When the Messiah comes calling, will we open the door? Detective Casey Denhollander is a hardened Albuquerque cop who investigated child abuse cases. He trafficked in tragedy, and as he said it, never brought it home. Patrick was a beautiful, toe-headed, blue-eyed toddler who was struck by his mother's boyfriend, leaving him quadriplegic, blind, and so severely brain injured, he cannot speak or feed himself. The boyfriend did 18 years. Patrick will live with the damage for the rest of his life. Toward the end of his career, Casey spotted Patrick at a meeting on child abuse, one of hundreds of kids that he hadn't been able to save before it was too late but he hadn't forgotten him, and somehow Patrick became symbolic of all of them. Divorced and childless, Casey had planned to travel in his retirement. Instead, he outfitted a van and brought 19-year-old Patrick home. They cuddle and roughhouse. They go to concerts, ball games, parades, picnics, and church. Casey has faith that while his new son's brain injury may not be cured in his lifetime, it is possible that he may eventually learn to walk and talk. Maybe Patrick will even remember the things he does with his new dad. Maybe, someday, he will understand that for Casey Denhollander, he was Elijah, the revealer of mysteries, the one who gave him back his heart. My spiritual companions, what if comfort were not among our highest values? What if, ahead of comfort, we choose freedom and the call to love, service, justice, and peace? What if we give our lives to the vision of the beloved community? Passover issues the invitation to spring cleaning, clear out the junk. To cross boundaries with vision, kindness, and faith. And to anticipate Elijah even in the most unlikely manifestation. Shall we unclutter our hearts and allow them to be opened? Let the work And the celebration of Passover begin. Sag, Pesach, Hameach. Happy Passover. Amen.